The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Road Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and backroads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Trip Talk. I give you the welcome, and there's an invitation to travel, but mainly we're talking about yesteryear because Suzanne Mitchell and I are here, along with our producer, Eric Ryder, and uh, Suzanne and I are going to be talking about the first Thanksgiving and the proclamation, part of it anyway, from President Abraham Lincoln, and then we're going to share some of our own memories about great Thanksgivings of years and years ago. It's a lot to get to, and we will get to it right after this. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Have you ever wanted to know what the weather will be for your next road trip? Drive Weather is a new app that shows the forecast for your route. It's incredibly simple to use and it's available on Apple and Android. Drive Weather. Download it now for a safer road trip wherever you go. Wondering what's on next on Alternative Talk 1150? Check out 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to Trip Talk. Gary Mance with you, Eric Ryder, our producer at the board, and we have Suzanne Mitchell with us here. Suzanne, who's had many Thanksgivings with me and many without as we reminisce today and also talk about the first Thanksgiving. Suzanne, glad to have you with us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here today. You know, I remember the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving special, and at one point they're driving to grandmother's. And it was funny to me when Charlie Brown said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, we used to go to grandmother's house for Thanksgiving, only now it's grandmother's condo. <laughs> Times change, do they not? Yes. I don't even know that they necessarily had turkeys as we as we consume them now back at the first Thanksgiving. It's possible that gets bandied about a lot. And there is a record of that first Thanksgiving. Let me read to you a little bit. According to what traditionally is known as the first Thanksgiving, the 1621 feast between the pilgrims and the Wampanoag at Plymouth Colony contained waterfowl, venison, lobster, clams, berries, fruit, pumpkin, and squash. While no records exist of the exact bill of fare, the pilgrim chronicler Edward Winslow noted in his journal that the colony's governor, William Bradford, sent four men on a fowling mission in preparation for the three-day event. Here's a quote. Our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fowling, that so we might, after a special manner, rejoice together, after we had gathered the fruits of our labors. They, for in one day, killed as much fowl as with a little help beside, served the company almost a week in On Plymouth Plantation, Bradford's famous account of the founding of Plymouth Colony, he remarked of the fall harvest that year that there was great store of wild turkeys, of which they took many, besides venison, etc. Wild, but not domestic, turkey was indeed plentiful in the region, 
and a common food source for both English settlers and Native Americans, but it is just as likely that the fowling party returned with other birds we know the colonists regularly consume, such as ducks, geese, and swans. Instead of bread-based stuffing, herbs, onions, or nuts might have been added to the birds for extra flavor, and that information courtesy of History.com, which is the website for the History Channel. And I understand that they didn't use cranberries, Suzanne, for quite a while. And the reason why is because the sacks of sugar that traveled across the Atlantic, which would be mixed with the cranberries, right, to make a sauce, was on the Mayflower, and that's what they brought with them. The sacks of sugar that traveled across the Atlantic on the Mayflower were nearly or fully depleted by November 1621. Cooks didn't begin boiling cranberries with sugar and using the mixture as an accompaniment for meats until about 50 years later. Only 50 years later. That surprises me. I had heard that oysters were also at that first Thanksgiving, and you mentioned quite a bit of um, um, fish and things from the sea. Lobster? It, it seems like it was mostly protein. It was going to be mostly <laughs> meat and fish yes. because they didn't have great stores of uh, grains and uh, fruits and vegetables and other things. They had some. But I think the primary diet was the uh, the meat and the fish, and uh, and the reason I think uh, uh, oysters are included is that sometime way way in the uh, after that point in time, they were digging up that area in order to um, ascertain what the people had been eating, and they found a lot of oyster shells there. That would certainly make sense in that part of the country. And when you're bringing clams in as well, and the, the big shellfish, lobster, I always think refrigeration, but we know that wasn't happening. So they must have been very careful in their preparations. Oh, I hope. <laughs> well, yes, I'm sure everything was done pretty fresh for the big feast. Interesting that it was three days long. We now celebrate it for four days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So we've upped it by a day throwing in, you know, Black Friday shopping. And football. And football, yeah. When we talk about Thanksgiving, it's, it's fascinating to me because as many people as I talk to, that's how many unique stories I get. And around this time of year, the subject just comes up in conversation. Well, this is the year of the pandemic. And when we talk about Thanksgiving, as Suzanne well knows, because we're making our own preparations in our home, it's a matter of the restrictions and how you can craft an enjoyable meal and the occasion itself while being as safe as possible. In our case, it's going to be you and me, and we have families scattered uh, different parts uh, around the country from Chicago to Washington State, and they're pretty much going to do the same thing. But we've we've essentially battened down the hatches. We we shop. We got a turkey that's enough to have our wonderful meal and then some leftovers for a few days at least. But it's just going to be you and me. And I get a bit nostalgic, I will admit. I want to be on the safe side. I'll admit that to anyone. I, I would rather err on the side of caution. But I think back to all kinds of, of Houses where there was plenty of cheer, plenty of food, plenty of football, and just the camaraderie of family and good neighbors and friends going back to as far back as I can remember, probably five or six years old. There was always something to enjoy, and it was different even in small ways each and every year. 
I was going to say that, that I don't think there's a cookie cutter formula for Thanksgiving. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, I can remember my earliest Thanksgivings were almost like scenes from Norman Rockwell with grandpa carving the turkey and a, a large table for the adults, a small table for the children and plenty of pies, plenty of food, kind of an all day affair with people going around and talking about what they were grateful for, praying together, eating together, and all of that, and the kids putting all the uh, olives on the ends of their fingers. I mean, that's what, you know, little kid, little kiddom is about. I've got the visual, yes. But, but, you know, as they've changed, that hasn't happened every single year. Grandparents are gone, parents are gone, and, you know, things evolve and change not only as a as a country and a culture, but also for us individually. And so I think one of the things we can hold on to this Thanksgiving is our memories of, you know, prior Thanksgivings and how we were then. Now, you've got me thinking, Suzanne, because I cannot remember exactly which Thanksgiving gave me that, that great rite of passage from the kiddie table to the adult table. I know I probably was over, I would have been over 10, but I mean, it wasn't like I turned 18 and then I could eat with the adults. It's just a matter of, um, you know, 12, 13 years old and I'm six foot three. I, I shot up like a sprout. So it got to be kind of awkward at that, that uh, fashioned card table with three or four other kids there. And eventually I think they did it just because they needed to put a tall person with the rest of them. Our card table had exactly the four grandchildren that there were. Three of us were very close in age, and my sister was younger. And the four of us occupied, you know, one side each of that card table for a long time. And I think when we finally graduated to the big table, it was because there were some other people that weren't invited. Table wasn't big enough, although it had many leaves in it. It just kept opening out and getting bigger and bigger. But I still don't think it held more than, you know, a dozen people or so at the table. And then you had the that that's the logistical concern. But then you had family dynamics. And about everyone listening probably has been through this at least once. Where are you gonna go and for how long if you have more than one? dinner to attend. You don't want to offend anybody, but you don't want to miss out. And we all have our favorites too. And that would get to be a challenge. Most of the time, my family, family of four, we would tell people where we would be and we would just gently demur an invitation to go this or that place for Thanksgiving, or we might host it. And so we just bring as many as we could handle into our home. That happens sometimes too, of course. My sense about hopping around to more than one Thanksgiving dinner is of more recent vintage. I think, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, you, you just stayed in one place all day, had your football, your games, your meal, and all of that. But this idea of, um, you know, divorced parents and going to everybody's house and making sure everybody gets attention, I think that's a, a little newer concept. It is. And if we go back to where you are from, Chicago and environs, uh, you actually spent a lot of your younger years in Glenview, which is a, a suburb to the north of Chicago, a lovely town, a, a bedroom community, a suburb and a place where Thanksgiving is very much in evidence the whole season, actually. 
there is a place in Glenview that you explained to me, and I know we didn't rehearse this, I'm just tossing it at you, but tell me about what it must have been like when people would go, let's say they were going to visit an aunt and uncle, it could be grandparents, to have Thanksgiving out at their place if you had to travel on half-day road. Oh, Half Day. There is a road called Half Day. It wasn't terribly close to where I live, but apparently from downtown Chicago out to that particular location took a half a day before there were good roads, trains, all that kind of stuff. That was just your horse and buggy. And so that road was named quite some time ago. Half day road. And it still is, though yes. people can get around pretty easily. Yeah, right. You, you can get there in minutes now. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds much better than 10 minute road, though, doesn't right. it? That's excellent. And that's what it was. People remember their eras. And for us so living in the suburbs in Southern California, we'd go to um, any number of friends' houses. And if the Dallas Cowboys were playing, we had friends who were from Texas. And you better be rooting for the Cowboys. And we did. And it was a great time to watch the football. It was just integral to the whole experience. And then if you were the guys, you had to fight lethargy because after you got enough tryptophan and whatever ingredients would cause you to get drowsy, that's legendary with eating a lot of turkey on Thanksgiving, you'd be nodding off. And the women were remarkably cool about doing the kitchen work because they'd have their own conversations going. But I think us guys felt a little bit embarrassed about not contributing we're watching football and dozing off instead of helping clean up a massive mess sometimes in the kitchen that's just a fact of life and maybe that's a reason why we had a war between the sexes i don't know uh it's very likely yes (laughs) (laughs) if at no other time maybe on that day (laughs) Uh, those memories i will i will say this i can remember two thanksgivings in the last 20 years let's say And I know there are some people are saying, oh, yeah, me too, me too, as they hear this. I recall my introduction. It was your sister and your brother-in-law that had, first time in my experience, oh, my God, I thought I had died and gone to heaven, turkey heaven. We enjoyed a great repast. In fact, I think there were three turkeys provided, and they were all deep fried. I remember that. I remember that. And my uh, brother-in-law being a chef, He knew exactly how to put the turkey in there very, very, very slowly, and it had to be very dry because apparently there were a lot of house fires started when people put their turkey in too fast and the boiling oil went all over the deck and started the house on fire, but he knew how to do it, and he put that thing in so slowly, but the whole turkey cooked up in about 20 minutes. He had this contraption where he put a chain on this. He was able to secure the right, bird. Right. And then you're right. He would just go about an inch at a time. Yes. Until it was fully submerged. I believe he used peanut oil. Yes. Yeah, he did. It and the delicious. taste, uh, it was just amazing. It was nice and crispy, as you might expect on the outside, but a more tender turkey I've never enjoyed in my life. Yes. That was just unbelievable. That was one memorable one. And then we had another memorable one a couple of years ago. When we also had a chef-prepared meal up in Chicago. And this was a professional chef we're talking about. Oh, they, they were Coke both cuisine. professionals. Right. And, and the one in Chicago involved such massive amounts of food, about 20 people. 
but the the kitchen in the home was a professional kitchen in in their home so they had multiple ovens and um, a couple of dishwashers and two or three stoves and six ovens whatever was in there it was it was a huge huge kitchen and we have often said that's the best Thanksgiving dinner we ever had because it was gourmet prepared right down to the pumpkin-flavored ice cream at the end. All homemade. Homemade pumpkin-flavored ice cream. Right. And the pies to go with of various kinds. He had. He decided not to go the full bird route, though. He had these. These were gigantic turkey breasts that he had. And he had them laid out, and then he cut them appropriately. And he also had pans of legs, too. Yes, he did. Yes, yeah. he did. Uh, and we sat there and managed somehow with tables end on end. And we had 20 people there. And we were celebrating that year because it was Thanksgiving of 2016, which for anyone in the Chicago area is sacred in memory because that was the year the Chicago Cubs finally beat the jinx over 100 years long. I think it was about 108 years. 108 years. Yeah. And won the World Series. So we showed up. It was a Thanksgiving to beat all, and people were still on a high from that amazing victory of the Cubs. They had Chicago Cubs uh, pendants there and uh, various dressings of, of on gravestones where people drive through cemeteries, which are quite prominent in the Chicago area going way back, and people with their relatives, their, their parents, their grandparents, who never saw the Chicago Cubs win a World Series would be out there and they would be adorning these headstones with Chicago Cubs swag. Yes. Yeah. My parents born, died, never, never saw that. A lot, a lot of people in Chicago who were Cubs fans never got to see them go to the World Series and win it. And they had pennants there. It was the big W for win. Right. White flag, the blue letter W indicating win. And that said it all. And we saw that in various cemeteries, just driving around town in Glenview, you would see them. And there they were. They were adorned because you never know when they're going to win the next one. Who knows? So they were making the most of it. That was an extraordinary time mm -hmm. and made some new friends there as well. About half the, the people in attendance we didn't even know, but we became fast friends. Yes, that was a wonderful meal. There was one Thanksgiving where I had no turkey, no potatoes, no dressing, no cranberries, no peas, nothing that you would consider traditional. I spent one Thanksgiving in Mexico. They don't celebrate Thanksgiving, or if they do, it's not the same day that we do, because I went there for Thanksgiving weekend and uh, had tacos, I think, on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving tacos, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's pretty interesting. I wanted to uh, take a few moments now. I can't read the whole thing, time doesn't permit, but I did want to read part of this. This is very moving. We're talking about... Uh, Thanksgiving's past and the enjoyment of them, but there's also the sacred aspect. Even when you look at civil society and it's coming from the president, there is a hallowed sense of Thanksgiving. So partially anyway, I will read the transcript for President Abraham Lincoln's Thanksgiving proclamation from October 3, 1863 by the president of the United States, a proclamation. The year that is drawing toward its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come, others have been added, 
which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and even soften the heart, which is habitually insensible to the ever watchful providence of Almighty God. In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, which has sometimes seemed to foreign states to invite and provoke their aggressions, peace has been preserved with all nations, order has been maintained, the laws have been respected and obeyed, and harmony has prevailed everywhere except in the theater of military conflict, while that theater has been greatly contracted by the advancing armies and navies of the Union. Needful diversions of wealth and of strength from the fields of peaceful industry to the national defense have not arrested the plow, the shuttle, or the ship. The axe has enlarged the borders of our settlements and the mines, as well of iron and coal as of the precious metals, have yielded even more abundantly than heretofore. Population has steadily increased, notwithstanding the waste that has been made in the camp, the siege, and the battlefield, and the country. Rejoicing in the consciousness of augmented strength and vigor is permitted to expect continuance of years with large increase of freedom. No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. And it does go on from there in Lincolnian elegance, eloquence, and a passion for the greater, the better angels of the human race. We will be right back after a word from Alert Drops. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days. And I want to bring attention to a life-saving product called Alert Drops. Drowsy driving is one of the most catastrophic problems in America, and Alert Drops will stop it. Kids studying in college, drinking too much caffeine, overloading on these energy drinks, they end up in the hospital. Alert Drops will stop it. What is Alert Drops? Alert Drops is a simple spray on the tongue made out of citric acid, sour lemon, and water, co-created with my uncle, Dr. Henry Heimlich, creator of the Heimlich Maneuver, who said, Anson, Alert Drops will save more lives than the maneuver. Whether you are driving, whether you are studying, whether you're just a tired mom, whenever you need to be alert, get Alert Drops. A simple spray on the tongue, nothing in your system. And you're naturally awake, naturally alert. It's scientifically proven. It's doctor approved. Again, it's natural. It's been honored by the United States Congress. Go to alertjobs.com. Very important. Go to alertjobs.com and stay safe. The first stop on any Utah road trip, utah.com. Utah.com has itineraries for every corner of the state. Discover where you can drive under a vibrant vermilion arch. Find a turquoise lake and the best raspberry shakes around. Or marvel at Aspen's aglow in autumn. Wherever you go, the drive is as awesome as the destination. So throw your bag in the boot of your Beetle or pack the snacks in your mini Winnie and hit the road with tips from the crew at utah.com. We were talking about alert drops a moment ago. Anson Williams brought the word about that. How ironic or perhaps how fitting. Listen to this. In answer to the question, does turkey make you sleepy? Scientific American reports Turkey allegedly causes drowsiness because it is packed with a nutrient called tryptophan. Tryptophan is one of 20 naturally occurring amino acids, the building blocks of proteins. Because the body is unable to manufacture tryptophan on its own, it must be obtained from food protein. 
So if you have a big turkey and you have more than your share, you're probably going to get drowsy. <laughs> Better use those alert drops. So we're looking ahead to Thanksgiving. Uh, a word about this pandemic. People are really having to make hard choices. There are those who want to get together with their relatives. Maybe they've lost someone or more than one someone to COVID-19. And here in 2020, it's difficult to say, I'd love to see you, grandma or grandpa, aunts, uncles, cousins, but I can't do it this year, while others are deciding they're going to brave it. And to them, we wish great safety, great health and joy, and also great presence of mind because these restrictions that are in place seem to work pretty well. That's controversial. Not everybody agrees. And yet we have 50 states worth of hotspots now. It's like the COVID-19 is awash at this point. There will come a day we will not have to speak such words when it will be a thing of the past. But right now, all I can do just as an individual being on a radio and a podcast, I encourage people to use maximum caution because we love having you on the planet and we love being here ourselves. And we want to wish Suzanne and myself, as well as Eric Ryder, our fine producer, and all of us at American Road Magazine, we want to wish you absolutely the best possible season, a wonderful Thanksgiving, and we hope that all of us will be around next year to talk about the good times we've had and the good times to come. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening in. American Road Trip Talk is always glad to have you with us. Along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine, we remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com to preview the current issue. Until next week, dream well and drive safely on the American Road.